Welcome to Morning Report Top Stories, a selection of news from RNZ's morning news programme. Tensions were high at the porphyry for the government at Waitangi. At one point there was even a suggestion that Prime Minister Christopher Luxon might not be able to speak because of vocal opposition from protesters. Ngāpuhi leader Mary Mangu spoke before Mr Luxon and worked hard to bring some calm while acknowledging the anger. That silent scream was heard into the party this morning. And there's power in silence. And I just want to remind us that the consistency of the message since the proclamation from the King has been about aroha, aroha, aroha. Well, that was Mary Mangu uh, speaking there, and she joins us now. Kia ora, good morning, Mary. Kia ora. Now, you spoke before the Prime Minister. I understand you changed your speech. Why did you change it? How did you change it? I changed my speech because of the mood that you could read from where I was sitting and also in support of Ben Dalton, the facilitator. He had also read the read what the mood was at that time and mine was to ensure that we kept everyone safe and for me as a wahine of Ngāpuhi to ensure that our manuhiri were safe. So you wanted the Prime Minister to feel comfortable enough to speak. I see you led him by the hand to the pie. What did you make of what he said? Yes, I did lead him, but I did give him the option prior to me doing that. He made the choice and we were successful in everyone hearing his voice, good or bad, everyone heard his voice, which is what we um, had arranged for him to come to Waitangi to do. Okay, what did you make of what he said when he was able to use his voice? Uh, I was very disappointed that he had a speech that had been written for him that was not appropriate for the occasion and completely... uh, didn't hear any of the messaging that had been put across. Why did you think it was not appropriate? Uh, Well, there was no... That was a time for both houses to be heard uh, in in English about Tikriti. And right now on the table is a discontent from from Māoridam about... One of the policies that has been put forward to us, and we're definitely not going to be uh, silenced uh, anymore about it. And so I think he missed a golden opportunity to actually start the dialogue at least about what we're so concerned about, what's what's getting to the crux. He never got to the crux of... Seymour's policy and ensuring that Māoridom have confidence in him. And so, that is a disappointment. Sorry to interrupt. We will be speaking to the Prime Minister soon in terms of actually what you needed to hear specifically from him because he will say uh, that his government has pledged or he has pledged to honour the treaty. Is that not enough? Well, there wasn't too much in his speech about honouring the treaty. Can you honour the treaty and at the same time support the treaty principles bill? You know, well, going through this first reading, we we have 
why, why even do that? Why do that? We have lived so far with all those principles. We can tolerate that. Uh, and I think that the main fact is he has to reassure us that that will uh, remain. And in doing so, there is no need for that first reading to be done at all. We what? can have the discussion about what the treaty is about. That's not a problem at all. But it does not have to go to the first reading and go through select committee. What about how the government speakers were treated? Uh, you know, Winston Peters being shouted down and the ACT MPs being sung over. What did you make of that? Was that appropriate? Well, I think Winston Peters is an, you know, he's Ngāpuhi. He's an old old hat at this game, so um, I wasn't concerned about him at all. Uh, but he did manage, he did a very good job of changing the speaking and hence was able to rack the crowd up and then leave and Seymour had to come on after him. And I think that that was a, uh, a deliberate ploy and Seymour, of course, by the time he came on, all the crowd was very uh, vocal and uh, and so there, were, there had to be a change. And when they, to, to sing when someone is speaking is actually a tikanga thing. So I would never, ever interrupt that. But when there's heckling and just calling out, then that's a difference. That's not our tikanga. What happens now? I mean, the Prime Minister did say that he had some uh, fruitful talks with iwi leaders uh, when, and, and saw some of the conditions uh, in the far north that Māori are enduring. Do you have, you know, did you take anything from that? Was anything learned during that process? Well, no, I don't, don't think so, because um, we didn't hear that at, in his quarter or to the rest of the, of the Māori nation. Uh, so I did offer to for him to come back and talk to us, and I hope he takes that offer up very soon um, through through Ben Dalton because he was the facilitator of that quarter on the day, and uh, I would like to have that meeting with him to see if we can find a way forward and and come and speak properly to Maoridom about that issue alone. Just finally, Mary, will you be taking part in the uh, select committee process when this Treaty Principles Bill uh, proceeds there? Well, I'm not going to go that far. I'm wanting it to be stopped before that even begins. Okay, appreciate your time this morning. That was Mary Mangu. She is a Ngāpuhi leader uh, and she spoke before the Prime Minister at Waitangi doing her best there to uh, ensure he received a more peaceful reception. Canterbury is on high alert after two vegetation fires in the past few days. Up to 60 firefighters tackled a fire near Waipara in the Hurunui district late yesterday. Fire and Emergency says 15 brigades and two helicopters fought the blaze, which was on both sides of State Highway 1. Uh, that was hot on the heels of a large fire in Kirwi, which burnt through around 80 hectares of forest and scrub. Fire and Emergency New Zealand Assistant Commander in Canterbury, David Berry, is with us now. Kia ora, good morning, David. Good morning. Uh, how are conditions there in Canterbury? Uh, very hot and uh, very extreme at the moment for fire. Worse than they've been in the past? Uh, this season, yes. Uh, over the last couple of uh, years, um, we've had it pretty easy. But um, at this stage this year, it's pretty extreme. So what are you advising Cantabrians to do? Is there anything they can do to be you know, on high alert for this? 
uh, just to be vigilant and um, anything that's going to cause a fire, um, like lawn mowing, um, especially on lifestyle blocks or any hot cutting, anything like that, just to do it in the cooler hours of the morning. Um, we don't, any sparks or hits a stone of uh, um, lawn mowing, anything like that will cause a fire. Do you know how these fires were started? Uh, no, all of them are at the moment are still under investigation. Okay, you say all of them. How many have there been? Uh, so that we're talking about the Kiwi one and also the one last night at um, Waipra. Are you seeing smaller smaller fires that haven't made the news? Uh, yeah, we've got a couple that um, just little burn piles that people have lit over the last few weeks and um, they've reignited within the wind and the hot conditions. Um, we've also seen a couple of, uh, we've seen one where a quad bike had an exhaust malfunction and that caused a fire in a paddock. Um, so there's just basic things like that where people just have to be a bit more sensible, a bit more care, take care, rather than parking on long grass with hot exhaust and things like that. Um, just really common sense. Yeah, well, it's common sense, but it's sort of things that people might do without thinking, isn't it? It is. Yes. Well, in other parts of the country. Okay, any uh, any respite in terms of the weather down your way? Um, well, this week we're looking at just uh, mid-20s to high-20s on about Saturday, so um, no, not really, not too much respite. Okay, well, keep up uh, the good work. That was a Fire and Emergency New Zealand Assistant Commander in Canterbury, David Berry. Uh, conditions in that region, very hot and very dry with a very high fire risk there. A Māori rights activist says protest action against the government's policies is far from over. The coalition was received at this year's Waitangi commemorations with anger about its contentious treaty principles bill, but without any major incidents. Activist and lawyer Annette Sykes says the relative peace doesn't mean people aren't outraged and there is more protest action to come. Our political reporter Annika Smith has more. Dawn rising on the 184th anniversary of the signing of the Treaty of Waitangi. It was one of the biggest Waitangi Day crowds ever, an 83-year-old man telling RNZ he comes every year and he's never seen anything like it. Many say they had to be there. I came up with my um, siblings and this is the first time that they've come up to Waitangi and we're just here to, you know, totoka the kaupapa. You know, I look back at my mum who couldn't speak the language uh, and to be here to represent is incredibly important. I live here and I was part of our service this morning, so I came to deliver the kōrero about te hakaputanga mititiriti, so they're really important to me and that's our founding documents. This year's theme, Toitu he whakaputanga, Toitu te tiriti, honour the Declaration of Independence, honour the Treaty. Veteran activists Hone Harawera and Annette Sykes pulling no punches on the paipai after the government was welcomed to Te Whariruranga. Ngā tamatoa was here more than 50 years ago fighting for the treaty and for the leo. And here we are today and you buggers want to get rid of them. We should have been talked to before you allowed the tail to wag the dog. You and your shitty ass bill are going down the toilet. The government giving as good as it got. You know what, if you want to attack the ideas, that's great. But I can say to Pena Henaday, Māori should know better than anyone. 
You cannot kill ideas with a gun. But if you think separatism and division is going to take us to 2040, get an education. Despite all the shouting, the coalition government will likely consider its appearance at Waitangi a success. It avoided ugly scenes while standing its ground, something Prime Minister Christopher Luxon is taking as a win. I thought it was a very positive, constructive meeting. Uh, there was good challenge from both sides, uh, but importantly, I leave there feeling very um, encouraged that actually we can do business. Māori rights activist Annette Sykes says it's not over, and it's not just Māori who are outraged. There'll certainly be protests and there'll also be, though, in-depth what I call decolonisation strategies. It's already happening in Tauiwi communities. I mean, you saw the signs yesterday, Asians were Tinoranga Teretanga. South Asian leadership, their great leaders were here saying that we support the principles of Te Tiriti. It's preserving Te Tiriti, the Māori text of the agreement, that drove such large crowds this year. Annette Sykes says it can't be changed. There's an outrage. I mean, aren't you outraged? I, I, I love the law, OK? So when someone would say to me, oh, I'm going to change the Ten Commandments without discussing and I'm going to rewrite it, you're going to be thought Judas. You believe that you've got um, power beyond the limitations that have been given to you. Māori leaders have promised to carry forward the message from Waitangi, leave Te Tiriti alone. It's unlikely this message and associated protests will go away until the Treaty Principles Bill does. Today marks one year since New Zealand pilot Philip Mertens was taken hostage in West Papua. Philip Mertens from Christchurch was working for Indonesian airline Sushi Air when he landed a small plane on a remote airstrip in Highland, in Highland Papua. He was taken by rebels from the West Papua National Liberation Army who claimed he had entered a no-fly zone. Caleb Fotheringham has a report. After he was kidnapped and his plane torched, a video soon emerged of Philip Mertens. He was wearing a free West Papua t-shirt and was surrounded by rebels armed with assault rifles and bows and arrows. The rebels pledged to release him if West Papua was granted independence from Indonesia. Akobo Doe, chairman of the Diplomatic Council of West Papua National Liberation Army, was in contact with the people who have Mr Mertens a few days ago, and they say he is well. He says the Liberation Army was never going to and never will kill Mr Mertens and the threats were only to get international attention. Akobo Doe says the fighters now just want to talk with both New Zealand and Indonesia. Before we say, OK, let's exchange with the independence, exchange with the guns. But now we need to talk. We need to talk to release this, you know, pirate. That's the, our policy at the moment. He claims the two countries have not spoken officially with the Liberation Army. Andreas Hasono, a researcher at Human Rights Watch, says he's heard Mr Mertens has been treated well, but there is no way he could verify that information. However well you are, however healthy the food that you consume in the jungle, you are still a hostage. I am repeatedly asked the West Papua National Liberation Army to release Philip Mertens unconditionally and immediately. Mr Hasono has heard the army regrets taking a hostage. It is a loose and loose situation for them. If the initial military attack and the pilot get injured or even killed, they will lose. If they release him for money, they will also lose. It is not a positive 
situation. Catherine Delahunty from West Papua Action Aotearoa says the hostage situation has made life difficult for those living in West Papua. Indonesia has used the situation to increase militarisation of parts of the highlands and so with increased violence and military presence a lot of people have suffered as well as Philip Mertens. Ms Delahunty says the decision to take a hostage was one of desperation. These people are trying to be heard. Their country is suffering from horrific sustained human rights abuses and the struggle for independence is inseparable from those human rights. So these things will happen in desperate situations. They're not good. In a statement this week, New Zealand Foreign Minister Winston Peters requested Mr Mertens' immediate release. He says Mr Mertens contacted his friends and family to assure them he was alive and well just before Christmas. Mr Peters says government agencies have been working extensively towards securing his release. Well, tens of thousands turned out at the treaty grounds for Waitangi Day yesterday, where times, at times tensions did run high. David Seymour was heckled over his treaty principles bill, and Winston Peters was called on to sit down. Mr Luxon didn't get off lightly either, with attendees making clear their intention to watch this government closely. We can talk about policies that you want to put in or take out, but the treaty is sacrosanct, it's tapu, leave it alone. We should be doing it in a rangimadi way, but absolutely getting our points across. Not letting them go to sleep at night wondering what our Māori is thinking. He still doesn't get it. That's still a concern for all of us, and it'll continue to be. If we expend the same time, energy and resource into honouring the treaty, then the discussion about tinkering and tinkering the principles will be put aside throughout the We are joined now by the Prime Minister. Kia ora, good morning. Kia ora, good morning. A uh, lot of criticism about your speech at Waitangi. Did you get it wrong? No, look, I mean, I was tasked uh, with, I thought the format was actually really good this year. We were tasked, uh, the English speakers, to talk about our vision for 2040 and what, what needs to happen in the next three years. Uh, I obviously talked about our, our rock-solid commitment to the treaty, that we're not touching it, it's not changing. Uh, it's, you know, important to lay up how it's played a role in our history, our present and our future. Okay, I'll get to whether people uh, took that message on board or not in a, in a moment. But why would you repeat big chunks of your speech from the year before when the environment this year was so different? Uh, you're the Prime Minister now, you're leading a government which is introducing uh, a very contentious piece of legislation about four times uh, more the usual turn, than the usual turnout at Waitangi. Why stick to the same speech? Well, look, it was deliberate. I want repetition and consistency, particularly when there's a lot of misinformation and misunderstanding about our support for the treaty. Uh, I wanted to talk about the treaty in the context of the history from 1840 through to today uh, and then what it means for us getting out to the vision of 2040 and, and particularly over our term. So, you know, the message is really clear. Um, the treaty is sacrosanct. It's our founding document. It's in the constitution of the National Party. It's, uh, it's, how it's exactly, uh, we're deeply, deeply committed to it and it's not for changing. So you seriously sat down as you prepared for your appearance at Waitangi and said, I would like to repeat big chunks word for word of the speech I gave last year. Well, i just say big chunks. Uh, there's extracts where I have used exactly the same language and that's been deliberate because I want a consistency of message uh, and I want people to understand what I believed about the treaty last year, what I've believed about it uh, most of my life, uh, what I believe about it this year and next year. You know, that's not, that's not for changing. And because it sounds... There's a lot of noise and tension and a lot of voices. I wanted to be very clear about that. It sounds like you're not responding to what is in front of you. 
No, we have been responding. We understand there's tensions, particularly around the treaty principles bill. Uh, those have been big topics of conversations alongside many other topics as well with iwi leaders and my individual meetings with them uh, over the last 12 months uh, and also even over through the Waitangi period. So, look, I, I mean, you know, I just want to be really clear that, you know, the treaty isn't changing. Treaty settlements aren't changing. Uh, it's the foundational document of New Zealand. It is sacrosanct and we're going to make sure we honour it. Well, you say that, but then you were a part of a government introducing legislation which would undermine part of the treaty, the principles. Well, well, let's be clear how we are, where we've got to, where we've got to on the treaty principles bill. Uh, We have an ACT party that made referendum a bottom line in negotiations. We have a national party that doesn't support a referendum. That was an extensive part of our negotiations. We came to a compromise, which enables an aeration of the issues through a select committee. Uh, We'll support it to first reading, but not beyond that. Well, do do you regret that now, given the fallout from that? No, I think it's the reality of an MMP environment. Um, the alternative is you put New Zealand back through an election process. But, you know, we have to get in the room. Um, we have to get parties that have different policies um, and different principles uh, to be able to come and work together. And we came to a compromise. And so it's very clear. We, we support the treaty principles bill to first reading, but no support beyond that. OK. Why were you not more specific about that at Waitangi? Because there were people there who heard you speak and they still don't believe you. They still feel that the treaty is under threat. Well, as I said, a lot of misinformation, misunderstanding. That's why I was consistent um, and repetitive on, in my remarks around the treaty, because I want people to understand it's been so seminal to our history and it will be continue to be seminal as we wrestle with it. Uh, that's what's made New Zealand so great uh, and what, what's so important. So, and the position on the Treaty Principles Bill, you know, I've articulated ad nauseum uh, through Rasna, through Kingitanga, uh, through media um, in, in recent weeks. But not so much at Waitangi, not so much at Waitangi. Well, we did discuss it with Iwi Leaders Forum on, on Friday. Um, I've discussed it in every Iwi Leaders meeting that I've had, uh, and our position's well understood. But you had thousands of people in front of you who wanted to hear that from you directly, and you missed that opportunity. Why? Well, I think we've expressed it really clearly in media conversations leading up into that. And the key point is, yes, while there are challenges and while there are tensions, um, people understand our position, which is we support it to first reading, but not beyond that. So why are we wasting taxpayers' money, the high emotion of all of this, the goodwill for your government over a bill that won't proceed? Well, it is important to the ACT Party and their supporters. You know, they want to pursue a referendum. Uh, it is not important to uh, the National Party uh, and to our supporters. Uh, as, I said, as I said, we live in an MMP environment. Uh, we have to compromise. That's been the story of coalition agreements and coalition arrangements in many different governments over the history of New Zealand under MMP. Uh, and so, you know, it's important there's an aeration of those views uh, for the ACT Party and for their supporters and for others that want to come in and, and debate that as well. But it's a huge amount of of time and money to invest in something that's not going anywhere at a time where we're needing to cut costs. Well, look, I agree with you. I mean, we've had a government, a previous government that increased government spending by 84% with a lot okay. of wasteful spending. Okay, so, um, yes, no, no so, we, we uh, have heard, we, we're, we're not cutting and pasting again uh, this time for this for this interview on that. I know, I appreciate what you, what you were saying there. Uh, just, just back to that, though, when you were leading Air New Zealand, I'm sure you had consistent messages there. Has it long been a practice for you to, to cut and paste from previous speeches? Did you do no, that in your corporate life as well? 
I'll just say to you, go, go look at the full text of the speech because a lot of it was actually talking about the vision of where we want the country to go for, forward to in 2040. That was one of two questions that I was actually asked as were all the English speakers uh, on the Pai Pai to talk to. Uh, and that's what we talked to, which was what's our vision for 2040? And importantly, what are the things we need to do together in the next three years to actually start to realise that vision? And you know, the message was that New Zealand has a fantastic future. I mean, we have an incredible country. We're well positioned to do well. We should have no excuses for being highly successful. Successful, uh, and we need to work together, uh, iwi, community, government, local, central government, uh, to make sure we can get this thing done. Sure. Okay, just finally, uh, King Charles, of course, we had the news over the week, uh, well, over the holiday, of yeah. his uh, cancer diagnosis. Have you passed on, um, what message have you passed on on behalf of New Zealand? Yeah, look, I mean, we just wished him well and a speedy recovery. Um, obviously, it looks like the diagnosis has been identified early and quickly. Obviously, the treatment will start very quickly from what I'm reading in the media reports as well. Um, but, you know, on behalf of all New Zealanders, I just wanted to wish him well and a speedy recovery. Messages of support from across the world have come in for King Charles after his diagnosis with cancer. Uh, the UK Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, says thankfully the cancer was caught early. King Charles will continue his constitutional duties but will step back from carrying out public engagements while undergoing treatment. We're joined now uh, from London by our correspondent, Ollie Barrett. Good morning, Ollie. Good morning. This news coming as quite a shock uh, yesterday. Yeah, it, it absolutely did. Uh, there was no indication really given that news like this was going to be coming, but clearly it came out of um, uh, that hospital sp- uh, stay that the uh, King had had uh, recently in which this uh, area of concern was identified, uh, which turned out to be that cancer diagnosis. And um, clearly one of the areas uh, of interest uh, off the back of that statement from Buckingham Palace when the news was confirmed was that we did hear that the King was suffering from cancer. That's not always been the way that the royal family have handed, uh, handled health matters. So it was interesting um, uh, that the palace decided that the King himself clearly decided to put that news out there in the public domain. But as you say, that did mean uh, that it was more shocking than, uh, than often uh, health updates that we get from the royal family have uh, been over the years. Do we know any more about the type of cancer or the diagnosis? Obviously, with cancer, it can vary hugely. Uh, we, hear, we hear Rishi Sunak saying, thankfully, it was caught early. That would be encouraging. It would, although even on that, that was interesting today, because when we heard those words from the UK Prime Minister in the morning UK time, that was more detail than we'd had from the palace in the statement the night before. And so that was put actually to uh, Downing Street earlier today to the prime minister's official spokesperson. You know, was the prime minister really setting out some extra detail here about the condition of the king and his potential prognosis? Downing Street didn't really want to get into the detail of that, just pointed us back to the statement from the royal family, which talked about the swift intervention of the king's medical team. Beyond that, we don't really have any more detail. There's been all sorts of speculation, as you can imagine, some from very qualified oncologists who know what they're talking about, about the kind of cancers that we might be talking about, given that this was discovered during that procedure uh, for the prostate enlargement that the king was suffering from. But um, uh, no further detail beyond the fact that palace sources are telling us that it's not prostate cancer. Mm. So he's an outpatient and he will continue with his sort of... um some the, the constitutional roles of dealing with the state and the government, but no sort of formal roles in public. What do we know about that? 
Well, again, that was interesting today in the sense that the Prime Minister said that he was in regular contact with the King and would continue to do so and, and continue to be in regular contact with him as normal, he said. That then led to further questions for Downing Street about whether that meant that the weekly audiences that take place between the monarch and the prime minister would continue in person. Rishi Sunak wouldn't get into that detail today. Neither would Downing Street. They say they won't give a running commentary on the audiences that are held between the king and the prime minister. I think what we're expecting is that some of those audiences will take place in person, but there's the possibility for some of them being over video call if that is required further down the line, depending on the treatment that the king is receiving. Um, but yes, we won't be seeing the king go out on those public facing royal duties, but Buckingham Palace making it very, very clear um, that, that he will be able to continue mm. to carry out his constitutional role. I mean, like any family, when there is a health crisis, uh, people obviously come together, even if there have been strains. Are we likely to see Harry? Uh, he, uh, he's coming back, is he? To, 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 to he's come back. Yeah. He's come back. I mean, are we likely he, to he, see more from the rest of the family really rallying around? Well, we, uh, Harry arrived uh, for, on a flight from L.A., uh, came into central London, went to Clarence House, which is really the, the king's home right next to Buckingham Palace. They were there together for only about half an hour before we then saw the King and the Queen leaving in their car, driving the short distance to Buckingham Palace and getting in a helicopter to Sandringham, which is one of the King's country estates where he now is, we understand. We don't know whether that limited half an hour was the uh, only meeting that the King and Harry are going to be having. What we are hearing from royal sources is that there are no plans for Harry and William to meet while Harry is in the UK. So a, a, a limited coming together of a family here as a result of this cancer diagnosis, but it doesn't appear to mean at this stage any great rapprochement between William and Harry. Ollie, thank you for the update. That is Ollie Barrett there, our London correspondent. You've been listening to Morning Report Top Stories. 